and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live, the show where we traumatize today's culture warriors with the reality of the woke world. Today's guest knows all about sharpening the political pitchfork and walking into the absurd ocean of lunacy and catastrophic ideas that ebb and crash around the lawns of Parliament. Our guest is South Australian Senator Alex Antic. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alexandra. It's great to be here. And what an intro. You're right. I do know that I experience it daily in Canberra and I'm traumatised. Well, I am traumatised. Actually, the last time I went to Canberra, I, I swore never again. We were, I was there for budget and uh, I can understand why you escape every now and then. Nothing, nothing but the fetal position, I hear. <laughs> so, Alex, listen, I am terribly disappointed in you. I went to Wikipedia mm. because... You know, usually they have some sort of hilarious description for conservative politicians that makes for a good laugh mm -hmm. at the start of the show. But yours is squeaky clean, except for that little bit about a viral video where you claim to be detained by overzealous bureaucrats. In fact, I had to go all the way to the Independent Australia to find the title Alex Antic, a poster boy for Australia's Trumpists. So let's go mm -hmm. with that one. What's it like to be mm -hmm. fodder for the unimaginative press? Uh, well, there's plenty of unimaginative press, so uh, I just try to provide as much fodder as I can in order to make their life uh, life suitably uh, validated. But uh, yeah, look, I think you're right. Actually, I haven't looked at Wikipedia for a while, but it probably does need a bit of curation. So uh, we might have to come up with some, I don't know, something, a stunt or something. Maybe I could fall over on the lawns outside of Parliament or get into an argument outside a strip club. There's so much room. I work, have to work harder, I think. Unfortunately, you've got some pretty fierce competi uh, you know, competition for getting yourself in the headlines these days. And I guess I should restrain myself from jumping straight to the clickbait and instead ask you the reasonably sensible question of how did you get into politics? Because usually there are two answers. Either it's a lifelong dream or some kind of catastrophic mm. accident. <laughs> that's, that's actually true. That is very often the case. Um, it's somewhere in between that, I think. I think there's a nice, there's a nice middle ground we can find there. And, and I, I, I mean, I just think from my point of view, it was always a, an interest. I, I studied a bit of it, sadly, in the time when universities weren't completely hopelessly woke back in the 90s here in Adelaide and did a bit of history and politics. And, you know, that sort of started the ball rolling, went and did a degree in law and practised for a little while. And uh, there's one thing that will turn you into a conservative warrior at spending too long around lawyers, particularly, uh, you know, Adelaide lawyers, it would seem no disrespect to any that are watching. They're probably solid. But um, but I so my, my, my vitriol for the culture wars where we were headed continued. And I had a really good friend who was involved, Tony Passon, the member from Barker. And uh, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have even thought about joining a political party if it hadn't been for him. Many would maybe argue they'd hope that I didn't, but in any event I did and uh, and here we are. And it just one thing led to another. I also took a bit of a, a detour on the Adelaide City Council, which is actually enough to make anybody quit politics in a very short amount of time. But I, for some reason, gotten for punishment, I stuck at it. So, and here we are, who would have thought? Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you're on a council. Those are usually pretty green. Mm. That's uh, that's an unusual mm, one mm. in your uh, little career. No wonder that your is. Wikipedia is so nice and squeaky clean. They saw council and went, oh, it must be okay. <laughs> Look, you're right. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I have to say yeah. the divide, there's a divide emerging between the political class where we have those politicians who understand social media and those who don't. And I'm pretty certain there's a stack of MPs and senators who think social media begins and ends with their newsfeed and that's it. 
but I noticed that you've <laughs> recently started to film little short videos for Twitter, which have an enormous reach. Mm -hmm. And that's how politicians should approach the public forum. So why then, Alex, do you think that, speculate, that so many of your peers in Parliament treat social media as something to be exploited, either through relationships with big tech or silenced with sensorial regulation, of which we're seeing quite a lot? Yeah, that's a really, that's the million dollar question. That's the question actually that's going to front us in, in the next few years. I think it's growing every day. And I, I don't know, I think politics is a very risk averse world in many ways, and, and particularly in the modern era where to be a conservative means being shouted at by everyone on social media. I think, you know, you find traditionally the right doesn't do social media very well. But in the United States, for example, they show that you can do it really, really well and really, really effectively before you get cancelled, of course. Um, but look, I just think it's inevitable that people are now, they've got different habits. No one watches the TV anymore, and why would they? We're watching things like this, ADH TV, and things you can get on your phone. So the fact that politicians aren't finding ways to communicate with people, particularly young people, in that manner is, is extraordinary to me. I mean, I, I, it's almost like not being available full stop if you're not, you know, doing these short clips and trying to get a message out and trying to get things that people can share and you know, it's it's sort of, it, I, I just, I, politics is a bit, you know, if there was a business that was more slow on the uptake than the law, it would be politics. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think people have got to, they've just got to sort of get that and work it out. Like some are, you know, some are better than others, but um, we've actually just started a podcast as well, based with Senator Alex Antic, when we've had Nikolai Petrovsky, the, the uh, very impressive Australian vaccinologist who waded through the COVID um, nightmare with a lot of us. And uh, so I just think it's about having interesting conversations with interesting people and getting a message out there. You know, politicians were meant to say something, not just put up, you know, government tiles, uh, you know, talking about funding a road, which is all great, but that's not, that's not the point. You know, you're a real politician. I was actually going to promo your podcast, but uh, you've gone straight through it. Do you want to be a little bit, uh, to extend your promo just a little bit? What is your podcast and oh, what are you trying to do with you it? You caught me out. No, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I have to blush now. I'm sorry. You caught me out. I did do that. Uh, yeah, it did. Look, it's, it's early days, but it is, it is. Look, and if there's one thing the world needs, it's another politician pretending to be a podcaster. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd enter that field with no particular degree of dignity and just get it out there. So, but it is, I mean, I think it's actually important. I mean, there are some American politicians who do it pretty well. Ted Cruz has got a podcast and there's a few others and it actually can be used for policy discussion and debate. It doesn't have to just be, you know, whatever it is. So uh, yeah, it's called Based with Senator Alex Antic. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can find it there. You can find it on my Facebook page as well, Senator Alex Antic. Uh, and people can go to my website and see about it there, www.alexantic.com.au. It's like I'm selling Amway, but here we are. It's good fun. It's really good fun. It gives you a chance, as you know, to speak to interesting people as well. So, it's, you know, no complaints. We're joking a lot today, but this job is a total privilege and, and I get it. Yeah, no, and the really great thing is if you don't behave yourself, I can just edit out that promo and no one will ever know. But, uh... That's right. That's right. That's right. Whether or not that survives is contingent now upon how I respond to the rest of the interview. I get it. Exactly. exactly. I'm going to hold it over you now. Uh, look, a lot of people yeah. are prepared to write places like Twitter off as not the real world, which is something I hear all the time. What do you think mm. of social media and is it important to the future of politics? I mean, I think it's critical now. I mean, it's just that my fears are probably the same as yours uh, when it comes to what's being censored. Um, about 18 months ago, I put up a motion to the Senate for a, the, uh, the the formation of a Senate Select Committee 
um, to explore exactly these issues. It was just after the US presidential election when Twitter pulled the pin on the president of the United States and left the Ayatollah uh, sitting there to tweet away at his heart's delight. And it was very clear there was a problem. It was clear before that that there's a problem with big tech having so much power. But, you know, we, we conservatives have to find a way to dance around that and to be on there. Otherwise, people, I mean, people are getting, you know, some people get 70 or 80 percent of their news through social media, particularly young people. And uh, so I, I just think there's no there's no future for politics. It's not social media, sadly. And Twitter's improving. I've got to say there are things that we'll put up on Twitter that we never even think about putting up on a meta Facebook platform. Um, and so hopefully that continues on because. You know, it's it's a it's a difficult space, and I understand the problems that get talked about on social media. We can't have a platform where there are, you know, horrible acts of violence or calls to arms against particular communities or what we've got. That all of that's got to go. But there's this problem with things being marked as disinformation and misinformation, and we saw so much of that during COVID when things that now we know are true were censored. Uh, and how do you get your message out there? So, um, so I think we've just got we've got to find ways around. I don't have those answers, but. Um, you know, I, I, I just think we've got to be involved. But my current, and if we have to get cancelled, we have to get cancelled. My current favourite is actually uh, Twitter's running around uh, declaring exactly how much government funding each of the broadcasters get. Yeah. And that is very, yeah. I think, was it uh, the Canadian broadcaster? They had it listed at 70%. They, they complained and so Musk listed at 69%. And they're like, I'm, I'm off Twitter. I can't, <laughs> I can't handle that. So this is, there's a transparency <laughs> war going on, but Twitter is at least amusing now. And uh, I think you've got to move wherever it the public is. forum is my generation are not going down and talking politics at the local pub. They're talking about it at yeah. home, online, and if politicians in conservative media need to understand the world has changed. And look, it's almost like the political class now, or at least a section of it, is afraid of public opinion. Are you frustrated mm. by the government's continuous efforts to censor not hate speech or whatever, but to censor public mm. opinion to protect themselves? It's actually a really good way of putting it. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're exactly right. It's it's almost as though there is a government narrative, and if you veer off course, um, that is immediately uh, you know not 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 agreeable to the regime in a sense. So it, it does it does feel like that a little bit at the moment, and I, I think you know we're seeing that with the voice. We're seeing state governments all around the the, the country taking a slightly different approach. In in oh well, we're going to wait. We're going to see how we go with it, and. You know, it's almost like that. The narrative is this is a good thing. It's yes, you're being friendly. You're a racist if you don't vote for it and don't veer off script. So, but I, I, I mean, I just think there is people are not they're not stupid. You know, they they we know there is a significant significant and I think majority voice of Australians that are going to reject the voice, and we have to be brave in speaking to them and being truthful about it. And and you know, I think the the public reward politicians that, that have a crack, frankly, and, you know, we see that all the time. People like honesty, they like authenticity, and why wouldn't they? They're, they're sick of being told that, you know, everything's fine when it's not or, you know, we're agreeable to this when we're not. So, you know, why don't we just start telling them the truth? That's, that's one of I mean, it's pretty, pretty controversial stuff, isn't it, you know? Well, let's uh, switch to a, a great topic, which is you. If we look at of all of Australia's politicians, there's a good chance that you have the highest international profile, much larger than even the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. And don't worry, your carbon footprint is definitely lower than his. But basically, a video of yours went viral across Europe and the US. For those who missed it, Senator Alex Antic asked the Department of Health the perfectly reasonable question of, what is a woman? 
We're going to play this one quickly for you now. Well, I'm going to finish up then, because this hasn't been very helpful, with a very simple question for the department, and that is one which has troubled me for a great deal of time with the bureaucracy here. Can someone please provide me with a definition of what a woman is? <coughs> department of Health. Definition of a man, definition of a woman. Anyone? It's pretty basic. It's basic stuff. Professor Murphy. <laughs> there, look, I think there are, there are a variety of definitions, and I, I think a simple perhaps, one. perhaps to give a, a more fulsome answer, we should take that on notice. You're going to take on... Alex, you looked, uh, shall we say, fed up. Tell us about your thoughts in that moment. Well, look, I, you know, it's sort of, it, it had come on the tail end of asking a few other departments the same question. I'd asked the Department of Gender and Workplace Equality or something, I can't remember what it is, it's got an acronym presumably, uh, a very similar question and had a similar response. In fact, there actually is a definition in that, that particular legislative instrument that, that runs the department or that rules over the department and the lady didn't know. But anyway, that wasn't the point. So we'd sort of rolled that through a, a few times. Really, you know, just because I, we, I think we've got to ask the question. It was topical at the time, and it sort of builds the cat on some of the, you know, the the problems that are out there in the bureaucracy that you can't get someone to just tell you the biological facts about, you know, what 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 we know about gender. I mean, it's so ludicrous you can't almost, you know, construct it. But anyway, uh, and poor old Brendan Murphy. I think that was the the tail end of the day. It was getting a bit late at that stage. I think it might have been, you know, sort of was, we'd had a session or two, and he was a bit tired. I think, and I think, you know, the the thing about that was that he, I, I suspect he probably just wanted to say adult, human, female, and get on with it. But he had a contingent of bureaucrats looking fairly angry behind him, and you could almost see him turning around, thinking, "Oh, but I get this one wrong. I'll just." I'll just wave the white flag and take it home and try and come up with an answer. So it says everything. I mean, it just, you know, it, it really is a lunacy when we've got this, you know, panel of high paid bureaucrats that can't answer these simple questions. And frankly, you know, Senate estimates has to be about picking the lunacy out of the bureaucracy because there's so much nonsense that goes on. Uh, that's just one of them. I mean, we've, we've sort of, you know, trawled through these, these hearings trying to sort of point out the fact that these are the departments that that rule the roost. You know, they, they have more power than politicians, I think, half the time and, and are completely and utterly, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of off, uh, off, the, off well, I don't know what you'd say. I'm trying to say it without sounding too rude, uh, off the scale on some of those things, I'd say, Alexandra. But uh, yeah, look, I, nothing surprises me in that building anymore. It's like opening the doors of Narnia. It's just, uh, it's a different planet. Well, it was, it was quite well done. But what I will say is that right there is what the power of consensus looks like and that's what happens when bureaucrats decide what truth is whether it's true or not but you are in the wrong career alex because that was comedy gold it had everything it had it had the awkward pauses the nervous <laughs> shuffling of paper the vladimir putin sized desk of bored looking bureaucrats and i think my favorite part if you would ever watch it again is that bloke at the back who then sort of puts on his face mask as if that's going to somehow protect him from your question Definitely my favourite moment. And in the end, they took it on notice, which is, uh, I mean, who takes what yeah. is a woman on notice? But my question is, and you sort of answered it there before, is do these blokes sitting at the table know what a woman is? Well, that is a very, very, very good question. I did. I think it was. Um, you can, you was can just nod Paul sagely Kelly if you don't want to say. Mask. You can just nod sagely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, look, I don't know. I don't know. The answer is I do not know. But um, I did. There was. It was actually almost theatrical that performance because it was you know whatever time of the year it was. But somebody did cough. That wasn't digitally added in. That wasn't AI that did that. That was. You know, it's like the digital uh, tumbleweed going through and a wolf howling in the distance while the paws went on. Uh, they were running for cover. It's bizarre. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I assume they did. As I said, I think I think Brendan Murphy, to give him credit, just wanted to say it but just felt like he'd get killed after the event. So, yeah, pol political end of career, goodbye, public you know, persona gone. But this is surely mm. the theatre of the absurd. Politics, at least as a general concept, is meant to be a serious business, boring even. Did you envision yourself having these sorts of conversations on the eve of your election victory? Like, is this, are you living the dream? It, well, I think I probably am living the dream, but I don't think I expected it. I, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, you don't imagine that sort of thing going on in there. And it, it, it is almost, you're right, it's almost comical. But I actually think, in all seriousness, the world has changed so much in those three years you know, that short amount of time. I mean, if you go back to that election victory, I know these concepts of radical gender theory were around, but I don't think they were quite as entrenched into the, the framework of our, of our culture as they are now. I mean, I think even, at, you know, in May 2019, I think if you'd said that, you would have got laughed at. It's Things have moved very, very quickly. And, you know, I, I just, and I know you're very good at this because I, I follow your Twitter feed as well, but parody is the only way to deal with this sometimes because it is so stupid and so you know, so unbelievably unreal that I think lampooning it is the only way to do it. And it actually wasn't the point there. That actually just lampooned itself. You know, it, it was so comical you couldn't you couldn't help it. But, you know, Matt Canavan's another one who's very good at that, Senator Matt Canavan from Queensland. He, he always finds a way to, uh, you know, to sort of point out the absurdity in uh, in things. And I, I just think we've got to do it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the theatre of politics now. Yes, well, thankfully, uh, most blokes in Australia don't have to take the concept of woman on notice. So evolution isn't isn't in trouble just yet. But I think most people, except, except the bureaucrats, have worked out how biology works. But in all seriousness, it's not just biology that confuses the political class. You have spoken at length about civil liberty, particularly in the pandemic era. And uh, I was going to ask you, Alex, does the political class understand the importance of freedom? Well, it's a very good question as well. I, I don't know. It depends on where you go and who you speak to. I, you know, you hear a lot of maiden speeches in Parliament that all start out very principled, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, you hear a lot of motherhood statements in politics and, you know, then when often when the rubber hits the road, you know, there can be a propensity to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, so, as they say. Um, so I think, and, and look, I think in some instances, things are not always academic and black and white. So I understand that. Um, and I understand that people during the COVID period needed a bit of time to sort of take a deep breath and, you know, survey the landscape and have a look at what was going on. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes, um, you know, where the line is and uh, how often we stand on principle in politics when we should, when perhaps another era would have. Uh, and I, I put that down to to the media. I think the media are the media are the virus. Um, you know, we, we we've got this situation now where I think things are very top down controlled from the media side. We can see it in that building in, in Canberra. I always say it's a little bit like a champagne fountain. People, the media on the top floor just pour the narrative in through the building through a very small funnel, and it sort of spreads out through the building. And it's true. You know, like the we, the tone of the day gets set by whatever 
you know, the ABCs tapping away on their desk up there and tweeting things out and, you know, whatever's happening on Radio National in the morning. I mean, it's it's easier in politics to cut your own path and, uh, and form your own narrative, I think. And well, we need a bit more of that, I have to say. Well, I'm just going to steal that imagery because it was very good, Alex. So I'm not even going to credit you. I'm just going to take that. Uh, it's Thank seemed... you. Just steal it. Yeah, just steal. Well, you did call the media a virus and I am part of the media, so I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. Um, it it <laughs> seems that uh, politics is a bit like one of those cheap dresses or suits uh, that you order online. And when it arrives, it's a little bit you know, different, slightly different material. The hems aren't quite where you had hoped they would be. <laughs> and in the same way, Parliament House looks great in the photos. But when you get there, the conversations that take place don't seem to be, how do I put this, the same ones that our ancestors were having. Do you feel that Australia mm. has in some way lost the focus of our important political conversations that we used to have? Yeah, I, I, I really do. Actually, it's funny you say that. I was only thinking that um, earlier in the week with the whole debate about changing our constitution. You know, when we had the original constitutional debates, there were constitutional conventions and it took weeks and, you know, people would sit around in hallways and talk and, you know, meet together and thrash it out. And, okay, admittedly, we we're talking about a lot more provisions and a lot more, you know, it's difficult starting from the ground up. But, you know, now in modern politics, we're being told we have to change the constitution because, it, you know, it just the feels of it. Um, and it's sort of emblematic of where we've got up to now. I mean, I, I think so much of our political debate is just how you feel, you know, how, why you feel and if you're going to be yelled at if you don't do it, and if you, you know, who's going to, you know, what you have to say around a dinner table in order to make yourself not feel like you're going to get called names. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I do think that. And the other thing I think is I, I do think that people have retreated on all sides of politics into their own corners now. I think people in the country have as well, and I think, we're all getting our own curated news feeds now where we perhaps we weren't in a generation gone by. You know, I would be very confident that my Twitter feed is very, very different to any member of the Australian Greens political party. I'm sure that's true. Or, you know, maybe we both follow, you know, some, who knows, comedian, actually probably not. The Greens don't have comedians because, you know, there's nothing funny about the left. But anyway, uh, side issue. Um, so, you know, like I just think there is an element of there's, there's not that middle ground that there used to be, sadly, but politics is a contest of ideas and, um, and that's okay. We've got, to, we've got to just find a different way to do it. And, um, but I, I, I do think you're right. I think things have changed a lot and I don't think that uh, someone like Edmund Barton would, would recognise Parliament House mainly because it was built in 1985, but also because he wouldn't recognise the debate that goes on in there anymore, I'd say. Yeah, you're, you're a funny man and you are giving me some kind of hope that politics has a future because I'm not always convinced that politics has a future. But you're also a fabulous advocate for Australia's political system. Is there something in particular that you are passionate about and that you would like to encourage our viewers to look at or to be concerned about or that you just like to share? Oh, look, there, there are a few things. I mean, there's a, there's a heap of you know, policy things that won't surprise anyone. One of them for me, though, is being involved. I mean, I have to say, I think that is the main problem we've, we've lost in politics is that, that all of the major parties, all of the minor parties now have, I think, smaller involvement rates. And, and you know, I think we're now in a situation where people used to be involved in, you know, as party members, so they'd have a say in who's pre-selected, who goes to parliament. And, you know, you're sort of really doubling your your vote in a sense because you're getting a vote for the person before you even go to a general election. You're getting involved in the policy discussion of your party, helping to shape all of that. So one of my real passions is 
and I and look, excuse me for this, but draining the billabong, I've got to tell you, is is one of my real passions, which is making sure that real people are back involved in politics because politics now has become, you know, a political professional um, outfit in many ways. I think you know it used to be that the Australian Labor Party were lampooned for just having. Uh, you know, trade unionists and whoever else that come through and that's the sickle. But everyone does it now. I think that people now, the, the system is so complicated that it's very difficult for real people to break in. I, I would say shame, shamelessly that I do think our side of the coin, the Liberal Party, do it better than most. Um, but we've got work to do as well. We've got to make sure that we're not just getting the last staffer into the seat of power just because they're there and they know how the system works. We've got to make sure we're getting the voices from real people out there so that we can kind of chip away a little bit at the, the concrete reinforced bubble that is Parliament at the moment. I think that's really important. And John Howard said it. You know, he, he said it himself. Bob Hawke said it. You know, we've got to, people have got to have careers before they come to Parliament and we've got to make sure we're getting a broad spread of people in. Diversity is more than just, uh, you know, uh, whatever. It, diversity is about getting, you know, people from the real world back in politics. Well, I was, uh, I was just going to sneak a question in there because you did remind me of something that, uh, as a final question, I thought I'd put to you. I was at an event the other day, and for the first time in a long time, it felt to me that conservative politics have realised that it actually has to now come together and form its own movement. And there seemed to be a, a reawakening of energy and commitment and almost a peacemaking among the conservative movement to go forward. Have you noticed any sort of change recently in the air that maybe things are looking up for conservatives and they realise they have to get serious? Well, I mean, I guess being in opposition in almost every state in the country will do that to a movement as a starting point. That's a great point. point. Probably does That's a good point. Recognise <laughs> one's own political mortality, but um, but uh, yeah, look, I, I think there is a bit of that. I mean, you know, I mean, there's no. Uh, you know, particular, um, there's no uh, force to this at all and there's never no plan to this, I should say. But but I find that there are many, many instances where there are cross-party conservative alliances in my house. Um, there are a multitude of times where myself, uh, Gerard Rennick, Matt Canavan, Ralph Babbitt, uh, and, you know, even Pauline Hanson and Malcolm Roberts will, will vote on the same issue you know, on a kind of a broad conservative basis and often people from, you know, from the coalition as well. But, you know, really you're talking about a four or five party conservative, you know, kind of non-aligned, factional, non-factional sort of thing. It sort of just happens organically. So I think the issues, are, they, they do lend to that now. And, and increasingly we're seeing Labor and the Greens pushing us towards this kind of almost dystopian future of you know, technocracy, we can see that coming with digital ID legislation and central bank digital currencies coming and, you know, more climate targets. And uh, I think, you know, conservatives have got to stick together because this country needs that conservative voice. It's the majority of people out there are quiet Australians. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, the 5% voice is, is magnified in Parliament. It's back to that original point about it being like the doors of Narnia, um, it just, I'm never, I'm always surprised to, to understand how that little voice gets just sort of broadcast out into the political chambers and made to seem bigger and more, more powerful than it is. It's, it's only because uh, Australians, the quiet Australians are too quiet. Well, that's actually why you are so popular internationally, because your comments there about digital ID, the rest of the world is actually waking up to the fact that this digital ID legislation exists. But I find that Australian journalists either don't know or don't care, and even some of the politicians who sign off on it 
haven't read mm. the policies that they're signing off on. So you're absolutely on it. You're up to date with what's going on. And I really encourage people to, to follow you and to listen to what you're saying and, and your new podcast, which we're going to keep your promo in there. So thank you so much for coming on to our show today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Where can we find you if we want to follow the chaos of Australian politics? It is chaos, and thank you for all of that, and thank you for retaining that promo. I promise there are no more to come except these following three or four, which are Twitter, uh, Twitter handle, Senator Alex Antic, on Twitter, or Senator Antic, I think it's the handle, at Senator Antic. Uh, I'm on Getter, which is an interesting little platform with the same handle. There's an interesting little space out there. It's a different one. Uh, we're now on, as I said, there's the podcast based with Senator Antic on uh, Alex Antic on all those platforms, Spotify and others. Uh, and of course, look, if people really want to uh, follow closely, we do send a lot of communications out by email because ultimately I'm expecting to get cancelled at some stage. So they can join up at my website, www.alexantic.com.au. There's a join there and we're always sending out uh, fun facts about your dystopian future. Uh, so we can all feel miserable together. I don't, I don't mean that I withdraw that. You said it was meant to be lighthearted. So that was my attempt at comedy. But uh, we are going to keep trying pushing back on it, Alexandra. And thank you for the chance. And keep up the great work. I keep hearing really good things about about the show and ADH TV are a uh, bright hope. So well done. Well, don't worry. If you get cancelled, you can always crawl back here and uh, on a, onto ADH TV and we will absolutely air all of your uh, your politics on here to your international audience who obviously love you to bits. So thank you. Mm. That's all from us here today. I am Alexandra Marshall and we shall catch you next week.